Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy with you as we as UCF goes one and zero in their first uh, game of football season, and then lo and behold, guys, we got a hurricane, but no games were canceled. It's a miracle. It's a Christmas miracle here in Central Florida. <laughs> you don't want to count your you don't want to count your eggs too early because it's only September, right? In fact, the peak of the season is not for another few days. Uh, but it was a, a, a bullet dodged here for us in Florida. And I will say, Jeffrey, that's a heck of a lot better intro than the one we recorded about a minute ago that <laughs> no one's going to hear. Fair point. Um, on, a, on a more serious note, we do want to send our thoughts out to um, our friends out in the Bahamas um, who suffered mightily for two days underneath Dorian, dealing with conditions that are just catastrophic. And... Um, Make sure you, uh, th- those of you who are out there, make sure you reach out to the Red Cross and see about donating to help out uh, the folks in the Bahamas who suffered tremendously from the storm um, and got the brunt of it, whereas we, in general, very much lucked out here in Florida, um, and our thoughts and prayers are out with them. So uh, time to talk about stuff that's decidedly less uh, serious, and uh, namely uh, football. we got a lot to talk about here. We're going to look back at... UCF 62-0 drubbing of FAMU, briefly, I promise, Eric. Um, And we'll preview UCF taking on another in-state foe on the road, the Florida Atlantic Owls, uh, on Saturday at 7. Um, UCF playing their first FBS opponent of the season. Um, And we got lots to talk about from a busy weekend in all the other sports um, as well. Big weekend for men's soccer. Went one-on-one against top six teams in the country. Um, and uh, UCF Volleyball winning two out of three uh, in a road tournament um, at an SEC opponent. So uh, we'll touch upon that today. We are blackandgoldbanneret.com, UCF's home on the SB Nation network. You can also follow us at UCF underscore banneret and facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret and subscribe to this podcast if you don't already, uh, wherever your podcasts can be found. Um, all right, so let's uh, so let's dive right in, fellas. Um, game number one against FAMU. Um, well, UCF exacted some measure of revenge for 1987, didn't they? Uh, 62 to nothing was the final. Um, it, interesting that you know, okay, the score. If you're just looking at the score, I mean, it was pretty much exactly what you thought it would be. But the storylines coming out of this game, I thought, were the offense looks pretty good. Uh, Brandon Wimbush does have some accuracy problems. Um, everybody's fawning over Dylan Gabriel, but I thought that he, the defense gave him a short field um, quite often. So he didn't really, so, so I feel like it, we didn't quite get to see what he really could do with the ball. Um, I felt that the defense was really the stars of the game. They just completely smothered Florida A&M in this game as they should have, but it's still impressive to watch when you see it. Um, and so, so Murph, you were there. We'll start with you. Um, was it as expected? And obviously, I, and I'm forgetting, obviously, the one storyline with Brandon Moore being injured, which we'll get to. Um, but as far as the game itself, um, are we reading too much into it with all that stuff? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, my my whole takeaway from this game is – I don't know how much you can take away from a 6-2-0 game against an FCS squad that is as bad as as FAMU was that night. And, I mean, you can give so much credit to that UCF front four, uh, who, memorable, you know, is Brennan Hayes or uh, Kenny Sunier or Brandon Wilson, Anthony Montalvo, uh, Noah Hancock. That front line really played well. However, the, the, the FAMU offensive line is a sieve and it is really embarrassing. So it, all of this has to sort of be judged on a curve of, of like, yeah, you crushed team that, but really you should have crushed them. So it's not like you get you get extra brownie points for winning six to nothing. It looks great, but I don't. I, I still don't know if we have a really good feel of what this team's at least what this team's weaknesses are because their opponent for one week was just god awful. Well, I mean, I think you, I, I think a lot of fans out there, in particular, were expecting, you know, an absolute total domination, everything looking on point. Which I mean, you're not going to get, and it's easy to nitpick. But nitpick. But Eric, you're good at nitpicking things. Um, what's the what was your takeaway from it? 
Well, first of all, yours truly <laughs> did predict 62 to nothing. So, you nailed it, man. No, that was fantastic. Um, that being said, Slow I think clap. UCF would have had a, would have gotten a tougher opponent if they would have played Miami Northwestern uh, in the opener. <laughs> Might have got a better test. Uh, the, 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 I, I take nothing from this game. I throw it away. Nothing. I don't read any anything to it. For people to, this is the typical. We're going to overreact to this, and they did what they had to do. They are superior, talented to Florida A&M as they should be. They are physically superior, which they should be. So they did what they were supposed to do. So um, I'm with Murph. I don't read anything into this. This doesn't mean you don't. I don't think we've learned anything about this team. I don't think to say, well, this defense looks great. Well, no, we're going to no. I don't. We don't know. You don't know. They haven't played anybody yet. So uh, they did what they had to do. If anything, the disappointing thing is you lost a key, key, big, key player of your defense in yeah. Van Morris. Now, that's to me the, dis- the biggest dis- the takeaway from this game is you lost a guy. You hate to lose players in games like this, uh, especially where it gets out of hand, and he's a key factor. Now, the positive, and Murph, I think uh, I want your thoughts on this since you've obviously been out there in practice during this week. You know, Bam Morris, a key loss, but at least they have depth in that position that they could probably replace him. What do you think is going to happen now uh, with Bam Morris out for the year? Yeah, you know, I I think Bam is their best corner. Uh, and so I can't say that they're going to have no drop-off. There's going to be some sort of drop-off. But, uh, you know, I will say that they look at Tay Gowan, uh, a JUCO's transfer, um, who is a junior? Who junior this year? Transferred in January um, a, a, as a guy who can step into that spot, as well as Damari Maxwell, um, a, a redshirt uh, sophomore who's been in the program here a couple of years. Both guys are over six feet tall. Both guys have speed. Uh, really, Damari is extremely fast. Uh, you know, he needs to be a little bit more physical. Uh, Tay Gowan is really a ball hawk. Uh, likes to get his picks. He's really put on, I think, twenty pounds. So he's become more physical, and and sort of that helps when you're playing this defensive scheme where the corners are asked to press and they're asked to play close. And so Tay Gallon putting on that weight, putting on that strength means a lot for that defense. Uh, but and I, you know, I, also Aaron Robinson as well. Who Aaron Robinson? Remember last year, guys, the yeah. first game of the season. Aaron Robinson opening kickoff gets concussed in the scariest fashion where he is motionless on the field at UConn for a minute and uh, came back, played last year. He got the game ball for the defense uh, after the game against the FAMU. Um, he, they thought he played the best. You could see him also uh, move out wide. He Right now he's playing in the in the slot, in the, in the nickel position. You could see him move out, out wide to replace uh, Bam's spot across from Navelle Clark. So, yes, they have options, but, again, I think they've lost their best corner for the season, and I don't want to get it. I, I, you know, I, I've written about it for the site, so I don't want to rehash all of my agita and angst over the fact of, of him being in that game with one minute to go in the third quarter when it's 55 nothing. I've said enough on that. But for football reasons going ahead, it's you can't just say, yes, they've got guys who are going to replace him. Uh, and that they'll they'll be fine. Like I, I really don't know. It's one of the things I want to watch this week, especially against a pretty decent passing attack with FAU. Is how do those new corners uh, respond with more on their plate? Yeah, and, and and you know, going back to what Josh Heupel actually mentioned, you talked like you said, you know, you talked about it already, Murph. But he said that everyone was out there on everyone that was out there was out on a snap count, and Bam was very close to his snap count. Um, you get the feeling like if, if he gets through that possession, um, you know that would have been it for him. It's just it, it was just a and that on top of the fact it was a play that didn't even count because yeah. the ball hit the everything. ground. It was just everything about that play was just the worst case scenario, um, and it stinks. By the way, do, do we have any prognosis on on Brandon Moore right now? Well, okay, so officially UCF has come out and said he has a torn ACL. Uh, but a few days ago, actually the, the day after the injury, uh, he was he was in a wheelchair uh, being pushed around by his high school team teammate Gabe Davis at his alma mater's football game. And Despina Barton from uh, uh, Spectrum News 13 uh, spoke to some people there at, uh, I think it was Seminole, uh, 
yeah. and said he dislocated his knee and tore his ACL. I, I am no doctor. It's hard for me to believe that he only tore one ligament when he dislocated his, his knee. Uh, so maybe we'll find out more about his severity of his injury later on. But the fact is, it doesn't really matter at this point. It's all sort of academic that he's gone for the year. Everybody knows he's gone for the year. Mm-hmm. Now it's about rehabbing, and it's a really strenuous rehab. I mean, you don't just come back from that right away and, and or 100%. It's going to be a, a long road for him. Yeah. Um, so we wish him the best on his recovery. Um, but like you said, um, wow, the depth back there, the recruiting that UCF has done these last three years under – Scott Frost and Josh Heupel should be uh, commended for, you know, given the fact that they think, at least as of right now, that they they will be, they think that they'll be all right. So, um, yeah. the uh, all right. So let's talk a little bit about. Um, well, here's the other thing I want to address before we go forward: the quarterbacks. I'm just going to put the, the numbers out there, sir, because this is the question that everybody's going to be asking: What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Uh, Wimbush finished, uh, uh, Brandon Wimbush started the game, finished 12 of 23 for 168 yards and two touchdowns. Um, Dylan Gabriel finished 9 of 13 for 127 and three touchdowns. Quadri Jones, by the way, has not thrown an incompletion in his UCF career. Yet, uh, on Saturday, he was 2 for 2, 61 yards and a touchdown. Um, all right. I, I, you guys are, I can hear you guys rolling your eyes right now, but. Do we have the shoots coming out of the ground of a quarterback controversy at UCF with Wimbush at times missing some open receivers, some throws it looks like he, he should have made with Gabriel yeah, looking quarterback guru here, Merv Jeff, like breaking down every freaking pass Wimbush did, like with everybody Ga- else. Oh my god, it's a little with, left with He's Gabriel looking really good. Um, although I'll I tell you, Wimbush I thought was great with his legs. He had eight carries for 42 yards, he was. Key on some yeah. like picking up some third downs, I think, and I think that's really where Brandon Wimbush is so valuable. Um, and then God only knows what's going to happen with Daryl Mack once he gets healthy. What do we make of this? Well, I will say, yeah, we agree at least on one thing, Jeff, and that, that Brandon Brandon Wimbush is a runner. I think we all knew that he could he had he had movement and could run and create plays with his legs. I thought his style. His fluidity, his agility was was better than I expected. Um, he just the way he swivels his hips is able to to really maneuver around defenders uh, without really losing any momentum. Uh, that's like a running back. I mean, he looks yeah. like a running back uh, with his agility and in that body. Uh, you know, it's six what six three two two thirty. Uh, it's pretty remarkable. He doesn't even look okay. six two out there, does he? Yeah, no, it's kind of no, funny. He, he doesn't. He, again, he, in that body, he should not be able to move as fluidly as he does. It looked really nice. Uh, again, against whomever he was playing, he was playing YMCA instructors. Uh, <laughs> but I think people are, are a little too quick to jump to. Uh, people want Dylan Gabriel to start for this team. Let's be honest. Okay, Dylan Gabriel is the darling of this quarterback group. People want him to start. The fans see Mackenzie Milton in Dylan Gabriel. They love the story, the connection. They, they, and he feels like their own, right? He is a UCF product. Brandon Wimbush is a hired gun brought in from Notre Dame. So, so really, there's more of a Dylan Gabriel is our guy sort of feeling. So I think there is a there is a a desire to really harp on anything that Wimbush does wrong, and and look at that and say, oh, see, that's why Gabriel's got to get in there. So let's be clear. Brandon Wimbush wasn't perfect in this game. Certainly everyone wants to point out that he missed, you know, two or three guys deep down the field who were wide open. I get it. I understand it. Uh, however, the news flash there is that's not going to stop as far as him attempting those throws. Right. They're going to want to continue to throw balls deep down the field. He's going to show that he can hit them. It was only one game. Let's see if he can hit them going forward. Secondly, I thought he commanded the offense really well, really smart with his play dec- really smart with his ball decisions. Um, sorry, I dropped my computer. Really smart with <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Really smart with just how he ran the offense. Um, I thought his footwork, as has you know been harped on a lot by us through camp, was still not very good. He looked um, a little nervous again, at I times. Really- I felt like he had the happy feet because he was nervous. Did you get that? I, I wrote about. This I wrote about this for the site in my uh, my four answers column 
where I thought at least on a couple plays he was he was almost like he wasn't finished with his drop yet after the snap, but but by the time he just he chose to throw, he just did not set his feet and throw and and he had passed his sail on him. However, Dylan Gabriel also had guys who were just blown wide open by bad coverage. Uh, so yes, it's nice he made the throw, but he had some ridiculously easy throws due to the bad defense, and also. He missed a couple of guys who were absolutely wide open as well. He missed throws uh, that we can overlook because I guess he had a higher percentage of completion, so people want to overlook the mistakes that he made. I, I think my, my overall point that I'm trying to make is let's not jump to conclusions after one game against a sorry opponent. I want to see this play out. I think Wimbush played pretty decently, and I think Gabriel played pretty decently. But it's not like one was supremely better than the other. Yeah, no, I know. I, I think you're absolutely right. And and I want, you know, I thought that Wimbush did look nervous, I think in particular on that first drive. I think that's what, kind of why he he may have missed a few throws. I, I agree with you. His decision-making, I thought, was excellent. His running ability is just on display for everybody. Um, I think that, you know, once he's able to settle down, you know, he's in a completely new environment. I think he wanted to come out guns blazing. And at the end of the day, I mean, he did throw for 160-some yards, and two touchdowns did not um, did not give up the football. Um, took very good care of the football, and I think that that if you're Josh Heupel, that's you look at that and you're like, that's what I want from my quarterback. I can live with missing a few op- a few a few open shots downfield because I know that in this offense those shots are going to be there and we're going to hit them. So yeah, go ahead, Eric. Well, and again, as Murph brought up, Dylan Gabriel had no pressure. They already had a lead when he came in. He's playing a garbage team. There's no pressure on him. Yeah. Um, I just thought it was annoying. It was really annoying seeing on social media every Brandon Wimbush throw being nitpicked, even the ones that were completed. Oh, that's a little behind. Oh, that's a little. I got news flash for him. He's not an accurate passer. He never has been. He never probably will be. But what he does bring is other dimensions. And I liked him that the, uh, the, the set they set up where offensively, where they can run the football with him or the running back. I mean, they, they're. I've said this from the preseason. I think this is a year where you're going to see two quarterbacks, and I don't understand why people can't accept that. Like, that's what we have. Now, I think of in the long run, I think Dylan Gabriel will be the guy, perhaps, or, Dylan, or, or until Mac gets back, and then who knows. But for people to, like, make quick observations after a basically what I like to call it a scrimmage, uh, uh, look, they're going to both play. I think Gabriel, yes, has got more upside, but he's also very inexperienced. I got news for you. You throw him out there against Stanford, it's a little different than Florida A&M. So I, I think people have overreacted to it. I think there is room for both, and I think Josh Heupel has said so himself, right, Murph? Yeah, and he's also said that this rotation is going to continue. Both yeah. guys yeah. have earned the right to play, so uh, do not go. You know, come out. At me with you know someone should be starting and this guy should be whatever because they're both going to play right now for the foreseeable future and, and don't even and then let's not even adjust, let's not even talk about Daryl Mack yet who right. this week was at least on the practice field he wasn't practicing in, in the offense with, with the schemes but he was at least moving around with the red jersey on the practice field this week so he is getting closer to a to a return all right well. It's a good pro- way, it's a good problem to have, isn't it? <laughs> and real quick, yeah. Mark, don't you think these quarterbacks kind of complement each other? It's not like they do the same things. You can do different things with a Wimbush than you can with a Gabriel. So I, I, I think there's room where, you know, I think Wimbush does some things better than Gabriel can probably right now, including kind of reading defenses and things like that, whereas Gabriel probably is somebody that right now you know, could do certain things that Wimbush can't. But that's why I think Coach Heifel wants to play both until – Maybe he feels there's that moment where he's like, you know what? One of these guys has the we, – we can go with him now the full length. And we've seen this across college football. We saw this with Clemson last year with Trevor Lawrence, who might end up being the best quarterback in the next decade, had to basically split time with Kelly Bryant for about the first four or five weeks. So yeah. um, this is nothing new in college football. So, again, I, I, I got no problems. I agree with Coach Heupel and the way he's handled this situation. Yeah, and I'd... perhaps Dylan Gabriel plays in the first four weeks of the season, and then by that time, week five, Daryl Mack had come back, They, right. which would allow them to keep their two-quarterback rotation, but also redshirt Gabriel, which yeah. right. just throwing that out there. 
which yeah, a lot it, of options. A lot yeah. of options. I think one of the things that we're going to find is like as they as they step up in competition, we're going to take a break here in a second. But as they step up in competition, you know, especially this week from FAMU to FAU, we're going to see, you know, if that's true, what you're, if what you're saying, Eric, is true, that, you know, they each bring their own dimension. Well, the defenses know that. And are we going to see them stack the box against Wimbush and Darum to throw and then see what happens there? Are they going to sit back and play the pass against if they see Gabriel out there and then see what UCF does with running the ball. How does the offense, what, what does the offense do when they take away your, your best option? And I think that might determine which guy gets. If they can, I, you know, if they can, I think there's maybe only one opponent in the next month or so that maybe is capable of doing that. Is it Stanford? I'm assuming you mean yeah. Stanford. Yeah, I'm guessing well, yes, Stanford. Yeah, yeah. Go, go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry. Uh, before we go to break, I just want to point out, uh, Gabe Davis should be in the NFL now. Uh, yeah. Mean, oh, you... <laughs> oh, way to go. That's Murph. Hot take. He, Turn it up. He's he is so good. He's so good at his routes. He's so good at high pointing. He's at. I mean, he's. I, we all know this, but like. Didn't you? I know it's a bad opponent. Again, this is all great on a curve because it's a bad opponent, but holy moly. He was a man among boys out there. Is he your first game ball? Now, we're going to do this every week. You're going to give out a game ball to the your player, you your MVP player, your player of the game. Is that your guy? I mean, I, I think if there's a player, I don't know, MVP, I'm like Randy Shannon. I don't know what that means. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, but... If I had to, if I had to say, if there was a guy who left the most lasting impression from that game for me, it's Gabe Davis. Yeah, three catches, sixty-eight yards, two touchdowns for Gabe. Uh, Trey Nixon actually had the most catches. He had six for sixty-one and a score. Otis Anderson had three catches for thirty-nine and a score, plus four rushes for thirty-seven yards. Adrian Killens had the quietest hundred-yard game I think I've ever seen. Fourteen yeah. carries for one hundred and six yards net and two touch or one touchdown. He had a long of thirty-one. Um, yeah, just an outstanding performance all the way around as we wrap it up here, talking about FAMU, and we get right, move so forward Davis to FAU. Is our player of the week. We'll go with, yeah, we'll go again. We'll go again. Um, here we go. Murph's game ball. Six hundred ninety-four total yards for UCF to ninety-six for FAMU. FAMU averaged one point six yards per play. So, all right, let's take a quick break. When we get back, we'll talk about the FAU game coming up. UCF taking on the Owls down in Boca. First ever trip down to. Um, FAU Stadium in Boca Raton for the Knights. And we'll see what's up with that game in just a moment. Stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here. We recap the FAMU game and we move forward with football playing uh, FAU um, this Saturday. First ever matchup in Boca Raton between UCF and uh, Florida Atlantic, the um, all-time series is two nothing UCF. Um, Knights won back in 2018 last year, 56-36, of course, uh, where we were introduced to future fantasy football star Devin Singletary, Brian Murphy. Um, I was at the first, yeah, I was at the first matchup uh, in 2003 at the Citrus Bowl when FAU was coached by Howard Schnellenberger, and I think they were in their second year of football that year. Um, FAU is coming off a 45-21 loss at Ohio State. They fell down 28-0 in the first quarter, and then that was pretty much it. Um, they scored 15 points late um, in the fourth on a couple of on a couple of touchdowns and a two-point conversion to at least make it look semi-respectable. But you know they really had no shot in that game overall. Um, Ohio State uh, outgained them 469 to 228. UCF comes into this game a 10 and a half point favorite and that's up from nine and a half as the opening line that's according to odd shark the over under is 67 and a half um there's a little bit of a little bit of uh i don't know some stirrage coming out of uh coming out of fau about this game they're really excited for it obviously they think that this could be their coming out party if they can pull off the upset but um eric lopez you're not putting that much stock into that are you no, in fact, I'm looking right now, guys. The GFS model and the Euro models got UCF covering this pretty easily <laughs> here to the to the side here. Nice, going nice. The spread there. So, um, no, look, uh, 
here's the thing. I mean, FAU gave UCF a good game last uh, last year. Here's the thing. Who's going to replace Devin Singletary is one of the big questions at FAU. Uh, is it going to be James Charles, Larry McCammon? You know, they both come, you know, they got shut down by Ohio State. They fell behind, so they had to throw a lot. Chris Robertson is the quarterback. I just think there's a lot of questions with this FAU offense still. I don't know if they're, if, if, you know, if, right now, if they're as good as they were last year when they played UCF at this point. Um, so I, I just don't see it. I think it's going to be a plus. I, you know, yes, there's a lot of demand, you know, excitement in that ticket there. I, I don't know what they hold. I think they hold like 15,000, 20,000 maybe. Um, it's probably going to be a very pro-UCF crowd. Um, I expect a good turnout for UCF fans. So I don't think this is going to be a hostile environment uh, at, at all. Now, that being said, they do have athletes. I think Lane Kiffin's a great play caller, and I think it'll be interesting to see how Lane tries to attack this UCF defense uh, will be fascinating to me. But uh, Murph, I don't see anything, especially on the other side of the ball, where FAU defensively poses a problem for this offense, uh, UCF. Oh, not so fast, my friend. Whoa! Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Here we go. On me here. First of all, the stadium has 30,000, according to Google. So, 20, uh, 29, really? Yeah, 29,419. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they, don't yes. draw, they don't draw that much, though, do they? Uh, maybe they're... Well, they do this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, watching that Ohio State game, you know, so the defense was obviously bad early. How bad? Well, they had two touchdowns from Ohio State that came on just completely, absolutely blown naked assignments. Like, the defense didn't the – de- the secondary, which is experienced – did not know who was covering who and just left guys alone. It led to quick touchdowns, and that was awful. Uh, however, if there was one aspect of that Ohio State game that I think FAU fans are probably most impressed about and should be, it's that they, that's their defensive line, which were you know, there was a lot of questions about that defensive line. They lost, you know, a, a lot of uh, just starters and and guys from their two deep from last year's team to this year. But really, for large portions of that of of that uh, for. Like, Second quarter, third quarter, they really abused the Ohio State offensive line. They really did. Uh, They got penetration from all angles, A-gap, B-gap, out wide on edge. I thought that was really impressive. Um, I'm not going to be here and say, well, uh, you know, they outscored them uh, 21 to to whatever it was, 21-14 in in the second half or the last three quarters. Like, that's that's such random endpoint stuff that I don't care about that. Uh, that you know, as much as and and their offense early on was so bad. Rob- Robinson looked looked scared. Uh, he did not want to make any tough throws at all. Uh, there were some drops. The offensive line couldn't open up anything for their running backs. So it was really it was when it was bad. It was really 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 bad. Let's not sugarcoat that. Um, but I think that defensive line is something that maybe people didn't expect. And I think that's going to be something to watch certainly in this game. Is you know how does UCF's offensive line, certainly a, a big test because that's a good offensive line. How do they deal with that defensive line that's going to send you uh, a lot of pressure? They're going to send you a lot of blitzes, a lot of guys from different angles. Um, so I think that is one thing that I'm kind of intrigued to see. Uh, Chris Robinson last year for FAU, their quarterback against UCF, was 13 of 26 for 124 yards, one touchdown and three picks. Um, obviously, Singletary was the story. He ran for three touchdowns, 131 yards. And FAU scored 36 um, points. This is a game that, you know, I remember it being a bit of a, you know, a bit of a nail biter, right? I mean, it, it was. Um, I, I forget what it was at halftime. I'm actually trying to pull up the the score from or at halftime. It was 21-17 UCF um, yeah. before the Knights scored three touchdowns in the third and basically put it on ice. But I think a lot of people thought. You know, oh wow, this could have been you know this could have been a real issue. There were almost one thousand yards of total combined offense between the two teams um, in this game. Um, as far as by the way, I thought this was interesting. As far as tickets were concerned for this game, and this shows you the kind of ticket that UCF has become. Um, cheapest ticket available, guys, uh, for this uh, for this game according to uh, StubHub as of this recording on uh, Wednesday night. You want uh, I'll get uh, you want a closest to closest dollar figure. Uh, what section is it? Like, uh, section 133, lower end zone. So that's probably like, it's probably like a hundred bucks. Eric? 
Yeah, 150 maybe. Uh, actually, 63 bucks. Well, nah, not bad. Well, not yeah, bad, but I mean, you're still you're still talking about like it, there's some high demand for these games. You know, we got a lot of it, it, so, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with a lot of UCF fans coming down. And let's give some credit to you know FAU. They know that this is a big game for them, um, as well. I, I guess what do you want to see, Eric? I'll go with you first on this. What do you want to see on both sides of the ball from UCF in this game? Do you want to well, see? Me, let me piggyback. Let, let me piggyback defend Murph on his point about the FAU defensive line. The defensive line coach at FAU is Lance Thompson. Was here he should UCF, be a familiar name. Former defensive yeah, coordinator here. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we shouldn't be surprised that uh, their defensive line is a little better than we think. We'll see. The big thing is, I want to see Murph brought it up. How is this UCF defensive line going to handle the FAU offensive line? Can they put pressure on Robertson? Can they stop the run? Because one of the reasons why that game was closed for a while last year was because FAU really controlled the line of scrimmage with their offensive line and Devin Singletary. And that, and they were able to run the ball at UCF, and and really gash them. So I'm curious to see now, without Devin Singletary, if FAU's offensive line can, you know, outplay the defensive line for UCF, which we still don't know if they're any how good they are. So I think that's the big thing here in the line of scrimmage. There, from that standpoint, is can FAU? Because I don't think FAU. I don't think Lane and, and his offensive coordinator, who by the way is Charlie Weiss Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, Charlie Weiss Jr., the son of Charlie. I don't think they want to get into a shootout with UCF. No, I don't think. No. They, I think they want to. They want to win the time of possession, shorten the game, and then obviously protect the football. But I don't think you want to get into a fifty. You're not going to win a fifty-five forty game. If UCF has a ton of possessions in this game, they will outscore FAU. They just have better athletes, offense, and skill position players. The, the but if FAU is, can, yeah. The problem is FAU is designed to run fast. Yeah, they right. are designed to get snaps off in fifteen seconds. That's the way they run their offense. So, uh, in in a way, they mirror each other. And so, I don't know if they're gonna go out of what they do best or what they do naturally. Well, to sort of support UCF. I think the stat to look at in these type of games is third downs. Who gets off the field? Right, like that's gonna be both teams are gonna get gashed. So the question becomes. Can UCF get off the field enough to give their offense enough possessions or vice versa? That's going to be the key because that's what hurt FAU last year. They couldn't get UCF off the field uh, in the second half. So for FAU, the, the theory and the theory behind that is if you the other team struggles offensively, get some three and outs, you can wear out the defense. And I think you're, to your point, Murph, part of Kiffin's philosophy is tries to wear down the defense by going fast. I just don't think that works in this particular matchup because I think UCF has enough depth and they're equipped to playing a team that's up-tempo. So, again, if FAU doesn't block UCF up front and doesn't uh, control the line of scrimmage, they're going to have a lot of three-and-outs quick, and that's going to give UCF a lot of possessions, and I think they will wear down FAU's uh, defense up front as this game goes. So we had 92 points in the matchup between these two schools this year. The uh, over-under this year – or last year – the over/under this year uh, is 67 and a half. Um, what do you guys think? Are they going to be over or under last year's mark of 92 points? Oh, I'll go under that. Okay, Eric, what do you think? I, I agree with Murph. The quarterback play is not going to be as good in this game as it was when you had a, a healthy Milton last year and you had a Devin Singletary. I mean, those were yeah. uh, two of the top players that are not in this game. So I, I will say it's under, but I but I do think it could go over that 67 number that you brought up. Yeah, mm-hmm. and UCF favored by 10.5 in this game. By the way, I did want to bring up a few familiar names on FAU's uh, staff who, to UCF uh, people. Obviously, you mentioned Eric Lance Thompson. Um, also, don't forget our boy Kevin Smith, who's the running backs coach for um, FAU. Newly inducted UCF Athletic Hall of Famer Kevin Smith. Yep. And uh, and a couple other names too, or one other name that should be familiar to some old school UCF uh, fans: offensive player personnel assistant Brent Stockstill, who's the son of Rick Stockstill, who um, was a uh, was a coach here at UCF and had a very successful career at Middle Tennessee. Um, and another guy who I know you're familiar with, Eric, from his Florida State days, Ernie Sims, is the director of football operations wow. at FAU. Really? So. <laughs> So yeah, I, old man. I know. Oh, we're getting old. We are. So, uh, so congrats. Well, I, I should say, you know, props to uh, Lane Kiffin for, um, you know, kind of picking and choosing a, a, a coaching staff with some good Florida ties. So, uh, once again, kickoff for this game uh, is set 
for uh, 7 o'clock uh, in Boca Raton at FAU Stadium. Television will be CBS Sports Network. Carter Blackburn on play-by-play along with Aaron Taylor. Um, Aaron was uh, the analyst for the Thursday night game against FAMU, coincidentally. So um, so he's at least Jenny familiar. Jenny Dell down the sideline. Yep, Jenny there. Dell down there. I'm s- so uh, it should be a, it, it should be quite a matchup uh, down in uh, Boca. It'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing how many UCF fans, uh, especially UCF grads in South Florida, make it up to Boca uh, for this game. Um, and how do they show out in this game? So it should be really fun to watch. It should be an interesting atmosphere for for certain. Probably the, I don't know if it's the largest game, in, if it's the biggest game in uh, FAU's home history. Uh, I know they played Miami there before, but uh, it should be yeah, I would, one of them. <laughs> I, I would say the Miami game plus. I think they had a game there where uh, didn't they? They hosted the conference championship game a couple of years ago where they won the uh, CUSA title. That's right. Yeah. Uh, as well. Plus, I think they had a playoff game when they were in in one double A there. I think. I don't. I don't um, know if they they hadn't built the stadium by then when they were in one double A. They were still okay. playing. They played. They played some games right. in. Uh, Old Lockhart Stadium, believe it or not. Um, I will say, I will say this real quick about the game. UCF needs to get off to a good start. Yep. Uh, if FAU to Murph, if FAU could get off to a fast start, let's say jump on them early, you know, now all of a sudden, uh, you and know, hang you around a, a little bit. Yeah, now you got to Now all of a sudden, there's more scrutiny about okay, which quarterbacks in this game at this point and things like that. So, I do think UCF needs to get off to a good start here. I think if they can, I think they can blow them out. If FAU though gets off to a good start, because you know FAU is going to have a lot of emotion. I expect a lot of penalties in this game because uh, that tends to happen when two Florida teams play. I would know. I was just at one of them between Miami <laughs> and Florida, so I expect that because there's going to be a lot of emotion. There's going to be a lot of trash talking. A lot of guys didn't know each other to play to get with each other and against each other. But if FAU gets off to a good start, then this game is going to be a four-quarter game. But if UCF gets off to a good start, I think they can they could pull away and kind of blow, break this open, win by three or four scores. So I do think it is imperative to get off to a good start. Yeah, I think for you're FAU, right. I think for FAU, I think this game is on is on Robeson's shoulders. I mean, literally and figuratively. You know, they they wanted to run the ball last year with Singletary, but I really don't think they can win that game, win this game running the ball. I think Robeson's really going to need to carry them. They have one of the best tight ends in the country, Harrison Bryant. I think that connection is going to be used early and often um, to sort of test that UCF linebacker safety uh, depth. And, and again, they're going to have to. They, they probably. They, I'm sure they know about Brandon Moore's injury, so they're going to try to attack that outside and see what those guys are doing out there. And so I, I really don't think FA, FAU's road to success in this game is on the ground. I really think it's through the air uh, consistently. And and I don't know. I mean, really, do not know if Robeson's up to the test. Uh, well, that's I think the problem. That's best, yeah, I think that's their best. But I think that's their best chance at victory here is not necessarily outscoring UCF in in the sense they need to score fifty points, but that if they're going to win, I think Robeson's going to have to be the star of the game by far. Yeah. I think well, and a guy like a Brandon Robinson, who's the redshirt sophomore from Jacksonville, wideout, who's very might be their best receiver potential among them. You mentioned the tight end. You know, those guys got to make some plays. They're going up against UCF strength, the secondary. And that's why, Murph, I don't I don't know if FAU I, – I just – that's the problem I have with this game. That's why I don't really think FAU is a threat because I, I don't disagree with you. I just don't think Roberson's good enough to do that. And that's why, you know, last year I think they were better equipped. If they would have had last year's situation with Singletary, if Singletary was still here uh, with an offensive line, I think they would be a more of a threat because – with Singletary being in the backfield, that would create opportunities for the quarterback position. I don't know if right. it's there right now. That's the concern I have. I, that's why I just don't know if they're a legit threat to UCF this week. All right. Well, we're going to find out, and I do think that that quick start is going to be uh, definitely a key for you, like you mentioned, Eric, because it's uh, uh, you know you, when you talk about that emotional environment, if you know FAU no takes part. that first ball or takes that first possession. Jumps you up know, seven Lane's nothing. Come up with some tricks. Yeah, right? yeah, Lane's he's going to have some tricks up his sleeve. Right? Yeah, exactly. But then, what do you do? But the the trick for UCF is, you know, if you do get punched in the mouth early, I think back to the Cincinnati game last year. You know, come back and and hit him right back in the mouth, and then see if your special teams can carry the way. Uh, and then uh, and then if you if you get out on top quick, seven nothing on that first drive, or set, you know, or go up fourteen nothing real quick. You can take the air out of their sails really quickly. 
So um, mm-hmm. that that I think will be uh, a key. Again, seven o'clock kickoff on CBS Sports Network, uh, and UCF is a ten and a half point favorite at least as of this moment, with three days to go before the game. Um, all right, Murph has got to go, but Eric and I are going to stick around. Coming up next, we'll uh, take a look at uh, some of the action in the other sports as well for UCF. Volleyball, men's soccer, women's soccer. Uh, golf had a pretty good weekend as well. We'll take a look at that and uh, and debut a, lo- a new little feature, our three stars of the weekend as well for uh, UCF. Stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret podcast is back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez with you here as we wrap up uh, our uh, show here from uh, at the end of Labor Day week and the end of um, Hurricane Dorian passing through. No UCF events were affected. Um, Feels weird to say the, that. I know it's it's kind of odd. Like we really uh, we really lucked out, but um, uh, there were some big events last weekend, and we start with uh, men's soccer who split their uh their two game slate up in North Carolina to start the season. They lost two to one at Wake Forest, number four Wake Forest on a goal in uh or or, or rather they got they did get a late goal from Jean Luc Arcangeli to get within one, but um uh Wake Forest comes out with the victory. But a couple days later they go they go um down the way to uh Chapel Hill and knock off number six North Carolina two to one. Um, and uh, in, in a huge game where they had to come from behind in the 62nd or 63rd minute, uh, Arcangeli got his um, second goal of the weekend um, on uh, to tie it up. And then 15 minutes later, Cal Jennings um, uh, on assists by Yoni Sorokin and Luis Perez, get used to hearing that, um, Got the uh, got the game winner in the 78th minute, and UCF was able to hold on for a victory over a top six team. Um, they don't go anywhere in the uh, in the in the coaches poll. RPI is not really out yet, but they they don't go anywhere. They they stay at 15, which I thought was really kind of curious. After you know you beat you beat one top 10 team you know on the road, and you and you lose to another by one goal. But um, Jean Luc Arcangeli was named uh, Player of the Week in the American. For his two goals in two games, um, and uh, and UCF is off to a one and one start as they uh, come home to face Penn State to start the home side of the slate Friday at seven. Eric Lopez, but that was a huge win at North Carolina for uh, for head coach uh, Scott Calabrese and his guys. After that, you know, you lose that one game, one goal game to Wake Forest, and it could be easy to um, it could be easy to. You know, kind of fall apart a little bit, um, but that's a that's got to be a huge confidence builder, right? No question. I mean, you beat. Uh, I mean, first of all, Wake Forest in North Carolina. You're talking college cup contenders. Yeah. Uh, and for UCF to get a split, I would I would have, uh, that's tremendous. And to get that win coming from behind too, as you mentioned, down one nothing, gets a really good Carolina team, and, and really one of the interesting storylines early in these two games, Gianluca Arcangeli. Redshirt freshman, two goals in those two games. He scored a goal in the Wake Forest game, and he scored the goal to tie the match against Carolina. And, you know, we had Coach Calabrese on here uh, before the season, and he talked about he expected the scoring to be more spread out, not just dependent on Cal Jennings. And here's a kid in Gianluca Arcangeli, who was the American Conference player, the week, offensive player of the week in, for the league, and more importantly, one of our three night stars on uh, Black mm-hmm. and Go Banneret, as we'll get to. Um, Really stepping in with some big goals, uh, and that's huge. And then, of course, Cal Jennings, how about fitting, coming in late in the match, putting the ball in the net uh, to give a big goal there to get the win at North Carolina. So a huge, huge split for them. Now they come, they come home, they hoping with Penn State out of the Big Ten. Now we'll see how they can build that momentum from that road and what they learned from that and carry it over to the home slate here and, and really – Put themselves, I think, to a statement here. Now, you mentioned they stayed 15th in that poll, but I believe they moved up in the uh, top soccer drawer uh, polls. Uh, Let me check out I top believe. drawer soccer, yeah. But, I think uh, they were 11th there. Uh, I haven't. I actually haven't pulled it up yet. I'm going to tr- try and pull it up here on the well, rankings. Yeah, they but... do that. So uh, they moved up to 11th there, and I know that because I, I follow them very well. They're very good. They cover the sport very well uh, on that. But I think what that win tells you is this team's legit. This team is a legit team. Uh, this was a team that last year hosted 
I think they could host again this year and be possibly, dare we say, Jeffrey, a sleeper, kind of a college cup contender? Well, I don't know if we have we ever said that about a men's soccer here at UCF in recent memory. Uh, if we have, it's been a very long time. By the way, they moved up six spots in the top drawer um, college you. soccer there poll. So go. moved up from 17th to 11th. Check that um, poll out, baby. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, and by the way, uh, and the key, I think, with that one is, you know, from that poll, they, uh, let's see, who did it? North Carolina fell down to 20th um, from that. And then, you know, we talked about Wake. They're number two. So uh, Maryland is number one uh, in the Big Ten. We got another Big Ten opponent coming in this weekend uh, with uh, Penn State, followed by uh, Texas Rio Grande Valley um, on Sunday at 6, UTRGV, which which sounds like a, um, you know, sound, sounds like a type of... Uh, like a type of bullet train out that you get in France or something. But um, those two games will be on UCFnights.tv. And then, you know, and then the non-conference continues with three more matches after that. But uh, they're in good shape, I think, as of right now. I'd love to see what they do on the home pitch against Penn State. Um, yeah. And, you know, they should take care of UTRGV, obviously, and then VCU next week uh, before they get... Florida Gulf Coast and then South Carolina the following week. So uh, this will be a big home opener for uh, Calabrese's guys, and we'll see if Cal Jennings can also continue his scoring run um, as well. On the other side, the women's team, uh, they uh, went up to George Mason, uh, a, a key team nationally, a much better team than you might think, uh, Got a two no- er, er, and uh, came away with a 2-2 draw uh, in that game. Um, Kristen Scott had a goal. Diana Martin had a goal for UCF. It was... Um, obviously back and forth, but uh, UCF could not um, hang on to a 2-1 to lead uh, in the 65th minute. Grace Hotelling for uh, George Mason uh, got the equalizer, and then we went through two overtimes and didn't decide anything. UCF, by the way, outshot Mason 18-7 to in this game and couldn't get... They had, a, they had an 11-2 to shot advantage in the first half alone and came away um, with the tie. It was just... There's, they, they, they couldn't do any. It, it felt like, uh, again, they kept getting, they kept having to fold on their hands, right? They never got pocket aces. And uh, UCF is, is now at 0-1-2 as they head to Gainesville Sunday at 6 for a matchup with Florida. So well, what do you think about this result, though, uh, a 2-2 tie against, uh, against George Mason? Just kind of a quirky, right? Like, it's, there's kind of quirkiness here. Um, even I watched the Ohio State match last week at home. And, again, it was similar, you know, 1-1 match. I mean, opportunities were there, weren't converted. I think, honestly, this team is still trying to figure itself out. I think they're still trying to figure themselves out. And now they got to go to Florida Sunday night, then home, back home for Arizona State out of the Pac-12. So, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not really the best of schedules when you're trying to figure your team out, but you see some of the upside. I think this team could be a really good offensive team. I think uh, knowing Coach Tiff, she's probably a little disappointed with her defense, giving up the two goals to at Mason. Um, but you know, I, I think they're they're, they're still kind of working out. I think some kinks there at the breakdowns there, but you know, it's better than a loss. I know it's very uh, very obvious. A win is here, better than so. a loss. It's uh, uh, our. I'm uh... Curious to see. <laughs> You know, I'm kind of curious to see how they handle Florida. Of course, they beat Florida last year. We had the whole, I don't know, how do you want to describe last year with the whole dilemma? Had to beat them twice. twice. Yeah. Right. Because of the rules with weather, weather, yeah. Yeah. So, but, Um, uh, and scored six goals in basically three halves, three plus halves against them. Yeah, it was a very bizarre, but a very dominant performance for UCF. Florida had a down year big time from their standards with Becky Burley and company, very unusual uh, to say the least for Florida. And, you know, they're off to a two and two start just to kind of give you a perspective. They beat FAU three to two. Now they did win it at South Florida two to nothing. That's a pretty good win against the Bulls who are the favorites in the American lost at USC three to one, and then lost to the number one ranked team in the country, UCLA. I think we know that coach, don't we, Jeffrey? I think we may have heard of her before, Amanda Cromwell. Uh, yeah, but, Two nothing game. Interesting to keep in mind. Florida is playing at Florida State Friday night in Tallahassee. That's a so 
I think UCF's got a good opportunity here. UCF does not play until that Sunday. You know, there's, there's Florida. You know, you, I'm rooting for a double overtime game in tally is what I'm saying. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You want a double, right? overtime, a double overtime bruising game. Uh, there, yeah, definitely. I, I, I think the the, the top other team too. Yeah, Florida State's really good. Uh, and Florida is getting is getting some consideration in that top drawer soccer uh, top twenty five. Uh, yeah, Mason- they're much improved. Obviously, I mean, yeah. I think last year was an aberration for them there. But point is, I mean, could be a high scoring game Sunday night. Don't yeah, be should surprised be very if it's a three two game. I mean, right now until. I want to see more consistency from the UCF defensively there in the, as far as limiting the back breakdowns. Um, so we'll see what happens here on Sunday night, but a big test. And then Arizona State the following Thursday. Holy smokes. Yeah. What is she doing, Jeffrey? We, talk, we talked about her. We, we keep trying to talk her out of it, but she's like, nah, I, got, I, I keep doing this to myself, and you know what? It's fine. We're, we keep going. So um, that next home game for them, by the way, uh, is going to be that Arizona State game. So Big match. Yeah. Big match. Should be big, so we'll be keeping an eye on that. Who had a big weekend this week in addition to uh, men's soccer, by the way? It was volleyball. They started their season on the road at the Rebel Invitational, hosted by Ole Miss. Three matches uh, against some against some key opponents from um, big conferences. They faced uh, uh, Iowa State, who was number 60 in the RPI last year. Rice, number 30 in the RPI last year, and Ole Miss, number 128 in the RPI last year, but um, an SEC team nonetheless, and the Knights go 2-1. and one. They beat Iowa State and Ole Miss, both of those in five. They did get swept by Rice. Rice is a very good team, by the way, in college, in college volleyball. Like we mentioned, RPI number 30 last year, and they look to be even better this time around. But um, it was, it, it, believe it or not, even though they got swept by Rice, it was a very tight match, I should say. And... Um, and very competitive um, throughout. But uh, the key was that last match at, at Ole Miss on the road, game that was televised on SEC Network Plus, and UCF was down 2 to nothing. They come back and win in 5, 15-11 uh, to 11 in the 5th. Um, Amory Watson led UCF with 20 kills in that match. Christina Fisher had 13, and so did um, McKenna Melville. Uh, but one of our three stars from... Uh, uh, from that uh, uh, from that weekend was definitely Anne Marie Watson, who um, at least as of right now for UCF is off to a very good start. You know, we talked about how good McKenna Melville uh, would be, and she has been obviously so far. But um, so far, it's been a three-headed monster for UCF between Christina Fisher, Anne Marie Watson, and um, and McKenna Melville. Um, and that's what we and that's more or less what we expected to see, but. Uh, the three of them have combined for, let's see, I'm doing some quick math here. 80 plus 45 is 125 of UCF's 169 total kills on the season. Uh, the Knights are hitting 240 as a team uh, and holding their opponents to 199. So, um, and they're keeping their errors down, which is also which is also very key. So, um, but to get that win over Iowa State, a Big 12 contender, and to get the win, the other win also over um, Ole Miss uh, in uh, in the SEC is just tremendous. And let's also pour one out for um, the defense as well. Mackenzie Cookmaner, who is the transfer, the graduate school transfer, uh, uh, who's been outstanding on defense, leads the team in digs with 58. Fisher and, uh, and Melville have been excellent on defense as well. Um, and, uh, and, and what's also good to see is uh, is Aaron Olson looks very solid uh, as well. She leads the team so far in assists with 62. Um, although she's getting some help, which I think is also key from Dresi Pass, um, and then also uh, her sister Amber Olson uh, and Cook Manor as well uh, in on the back line. So um, you know, right now things are looking pretty good for UCF volleyball um, as a whole as they start as they come back home for a home tournament. Um, this weekend, they will be facing uh, in the UCF Challenge, South Carolina, Albany, and Kansas, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, respectively. Um, and that's another, th- and, and those are three more teams that, that 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 should help out UCF's RPI overall, too, Eric. Well, I think it was good, too. They faced some adversity this first weekend, right? Like, yeah. I mean, like for the most part, last year during the season, they kind of didn't really face adversity. You know, I, I think he even might have mentioned it to you in the interview, if I recall, but I know he's mentioned it before. 
before the season. You know, last year there was a lot of matches that could have gone either way, and UCF seemed to win all of them. So there mm-hmm. was really never that moment where you're like, wow, we, we're, we're going to learn a lot about this team. And they faced it here in Oxford. I mean, the Rice loss. You lose a, an early Saturday morning uh, match after a tough five-set match against the Iowa State win. You fall behind two sets on the road at Ole Miss and find a way to win. I think, you know, we, we, we've, we've talked about it. Jordan Pingle, that's the main loss, really. She was mm-hmm. the leader. Who would step up? How are they going to react if they got adversity? And I think they reacted very well. And I think that's a positive, especially getting that Iowa State win. Iowa State's really good in the Big 12. You know, Ole Miss is not one of the top SEC teams, but it's on the road. We'll see now how they carry that over to at home. You got South Carolina, then Kansas is pretty good. I mean, the Big 12, I don't know, for people that don't know, the Big 12 is actually a better conference in volleyball than the SEC. That's true. Because they don't follow the sport very closely. I, I think you would agree, I, in, I, in no particular order, Pac-12, Big 10. Pac-12, Big, 12, Big 10 at probably. the top, and then the Big 12, like, on the second tier yeah, like, below the them. Three league. Yeah, uh, The SEC is more of a fourth or fifth uh, type of deal there. To, you know, probably better than the ACC, but... Um, Definitely yeah, better I, than I the ACC, look, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think this is. I'm curious to see how they handle being at home. Not necessarily, uh, Jeffrey. The South Carolina and the Kansas matches. I, I think they'll be ready to go for that. I want to see how they come out against Albany, right? Because that's part of the maturity, right? That you have to show is you're going to be up for South Carolina and Kansas, but you can't have a letdown on a Saturday night in Albany probably not your best crowd that night because that's going to be going up at the same time as the football game. Yeah. It's going up in Boca. Granted, the foot, granted I think we, we kind of overblow that a little bit because the diehard fans of the Olympic sports usually go to the Olympic sports. You know what I mean? Like, so the, the diehard volleyball fans are going to be at the match. It's not like, it's not like they're going to you know deviate and not be at football. You do lose, I think, some of the casual fan that goes there that normally – would go if there was no football game going on. I do think you lose some of those people. They're, they're going to go to Boca. But I, I'm curious to see, Jeffrey, obviously South Carolina and Kansas we're going to pay a lot of attention to, but I, I want to see how they come out against Albany. Do they come out locked in, take care of business, or do they struggle a little bit? Do they have a – because I do think the Rice – and Rice is very good. You've brought it up. It's very good. But I that felt like a letdown after Iowa State a little bit, didn't it? I a, a little bit, but I I don't think we should take away too much from from Rice and how good that 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 team. Is. I think they're gonna they might very well win Conference USA. Um, and and now I think you're right about Albany. The one thing about Albany is they were 195th in the RPI last year, so I don't know how much that's going to help you out this year. Obviously, you would hope for them to be improved. Um, you know, we talked about South Carolina. Um, you know they were 32nd in the RPI uh, last year, uh, so that's a very key match that you want to take care of on your home floor. And then you know, like you mentioned with Kansas, they were 48th in the RPI. So yeah, um, so, my, starting my out, they, that, that's two that, top right. 50s right there. And my concern is the reason I'm focusing so much on Albany. That's a trap game, right? We've talked about this. It, and, it and could again, be if you don't if you don't play well, but I, I, and, I and, it, it's it, not it, like they're it's not like they're the you know. In the America East, um, uh, I, I don't think they won the conference last year. But uh, I mean, I'll, I, I'm going to double I'm check. Saying, I, have, right, I right. should know that right or off the bat. But I my, my point: when you're dealing with 18 to 22 year olds, mm-hmm. how locked in now? Now, you, now on paper, they should be able to handle it. A lot of them are back from last year. I'm just saying, you know, you're going to be the post South Carolina result, and you're going to don't get caught looking ahead to Kansas because. You know, that, I'm just saying that I'm gonna. That's where I things like that. I will learn more about a team that even sometimes when you play a marquee team because you don't have you don't need a rah rah speech to play the marquee program. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, you're right. And what I think what made this team very good last year, Jeffrey, wouldn't you agree? Is they took care of business against the teams they were supposed to, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and and they should take care of Albany. Although I although I I should uh, mention to everyone, this is an Albany team that did. I'm sorry I didn't look this up earlier, but they did make it to the America East Volleyball Championship match uh, in their tournament last year. They were the number two seed, and they lost to the host Stony Brook um, in five in the championship. And I so, guarantee you they will be ready for that match. They should They will be, be ready. <laughs> They'll be excited. 
They'll yeah. be in Orlando, Florida, number one. Yeah. <laughs> so, post, post Dorian. He will yeah. be excited. So uh, I'm curious to see how this team comes out and the big opportunities um, this weekend for them. Yeah. A couple other notes that we wanted to uh, pass along as well. Uh, men's golf finished in uh, third place at the Island Resort Collegiate Invitational in uh, Harris, Michigan. And then uh, also wanted to uh, send a special shout-out to Jamie Tomasetti, the uh, co- the conference runner of the week. She finished fourth at the FAU Invitational for UCF Cross Country uh, with an 18-38-16 in the 5K. So um, <clears throat> she's from Greenbrook, New Jersey, which I always shout-out I always shout out to the uh, to, to folks from New Jersey because obviously I'm from New Jersey. Where is Greenbrook? I gotta find this out. It's another it's another one of these little tiny townships in New Jersey that you never. Let's see. Oh, okay. That's that's not too far away from from my neck of the woods at all. It's uh, over by uh, over by Bridgewater and uh, and Piscataway, not far from Rutgers. How'd she get out? How'd she get out from Rutgers? Unbelievable. All right. Well. Congrats to her. She's the conference runner of the week. And uh, um, and congrats to uh, UCF Cross Country uh, as well on their performance uh, at the uh, FAU Invitational. All right, let's wrap this thing up here. Eric, what do you got coming up this week? I got uh, some boards I got to take down, you know. Hurricane uh, stuff's done. Uh, got to get <laughs> back looks, to the reality. Roof now, looks check good. Out. You, can, you, get, you still got some canned goods that you're going to have to. Our, our, our nutrition is just taking a dive with... <laughs> with all that we've well, had to stuff with. I'm keeping because we're not like hurricane seasons in peak uh, peak form. So, yeah. you know, uh, but I will say love, go to black and go And we actually address this. We have a big feature. We're going to do this every week. Three night stars of the week, right? What are we calling it? We call well, it, it the, three stars, three stars. It's our little, it's our tribute to hockey. You know, we don't have NCAA ice hockey at UCF, although we do have a really good club team. Um, and uh, you know how much I love my New Jersey Devils. So we're just calling this three stars. Three stars. So we are going to honor every week throughout the fall and the spring, three UCF athletes, not football. I know some people are going to uh, what, what, what about football? Well, football, we honor the football player. Murph's going to give out his game ball every week on the podcast here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the art, we're going to have a week where we're, me and Jeffrey, they're going to give out our three stars every week at all UCF sports, three best performers that stood out. Uh, we will uh, on, do that every week. Uh, through through here on out, and then I am expecting a uh, article. I mean, uh, an email here. We're going to do our roundtable, right? For FAU, I'm going to try to. I'm going to just give you. I'm just going to let you know the score, like I did for FAMU, so you guys don't don't have to worry about it. If you you know you know as far as the game is concerned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's what we're looking for on that. And uh, Jeremy Brennan will have that. Be on the lookout for Luke Saris's preview of UCF against FAU. Um, and uh, also, I've got. Um, Season previews coming up for volleyball and men's soccer. I know you're like, wait a minute, they already started the season. Yes, I know, but I want to. I always get these up before the home opener. All right. So I that Dorian was just postponing it for you. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. But uh, we'll have those uh, up and ready, I, up, up and ready for you as well. By the way, real thick, important is something to make a note of. Uh, the Stanford game, as we know, is a three thirty kickoff <clears> home <throat> game. Mm-hmm. You don't know the channel yet. That's going to change after Saturday. I think there's a very strong possibility that UCF Stanford will be an ABC 3:30 game. You heard it here first, 3:30 game. I think it's the better game of the. Wait, three. wait, 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 wait. Is this is this a is this an Elo bomb? Yes. There you okay. Go. Elo. You're here. So you're hearing an, from long. your people. Well, that, yeah, I, I think if you look at the situation, yeah, I, I think it's yeah. From talking, to, if UCF takes care of business against FAU. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Stanford, although Stanford Costello, their quarterback, got hurt in the Northwestern game. Yeah, he got a concussion. USC he's, game. Yeah, he he's he's uh, going to be uh, he he might be on the shelf for USC. Yeah, uh, so that could be another ugly game. But uh, that is a very strong possibility that it will be an ABC game. Don't be surprised, by the way, if they do something similar to what they did for the Memphis game last year. If you remember, Jeffrey, they kind of did that window thing where. UCF and Memphis was on ABC on most of the East Coast, but then on the West Coast, perhaps, or, or certain other markets, they were on ESPN, too, something right. like that. Don't be, surprised. Don't be surprised if they do something to that extent. Um, but I think this game is an ABC 330 game, assuming UCF takes care of business, I think, against FAU, which is a, and then that'll set up the marquee matchup. Those of you that have asked me nonstop about game day, I still believe game, this game is a distant third at best option for game day if not maybe lower 
I still believe Clemson at Syracuse is by far is the number one option. College game day has never been to the Carrier Dome, as you would know, Jeffrey. As somebody's gone there for football. They've been there for basketball. They have not been to Syracuse for football. Right. Uh, now, Syracuse has a tricky game this weekend against Maryland. I, trust me, people have brought this up. Plus, Clemson has a marquee game against A&M. If that were to falter a little bit, I think game day will then go to uh, Iowa State. Iowa, Iowa State is the matchup. They have never been to Ames, Iowa. Uh, they're ranked. I don't know who Iowa State and Iowa play this weekend. Uh, I probably look at that, see what the odds I'll are. Check that it out right here. Because Iowa State almost lost to an FCS game. I believe. Now let's listen. Don't don't you cast aspersions on on the University of Northern Iowa? That's a good football program. By the way, Iowa plays Rutgers. Um, Should win that, and, and then um, Iowa State will have to let me know who they play. Iowa State um, has. Uh, are they off? Yeah, it looks like they're off this week. I don't, wow. Yeah. So yeah. I think if if for something happens in the Clemson Syracuse situation, I could see them doing Ames Iowa. They've never been there before. And I know, and, 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 and you know, Reese Davis has said this in, in national interviews, they want to go to places they haven't been to. Yeah. Uh, and so, especially, you know, so don't be, again. And they, and they also like, that's a very good environment game. You know yeah. what I mean? That's because it's an, it's obviously an in-state rivalry and everything. Yeah. But it's, it, it's, it's like that state shuts down for that game. And, and I think they like getting that. That game, I actually, I actually, personally think that's that game should be the favorite over Clemson. Well, and remember, as you know, Clemson Syracuse is going to be the ABC primetime game, so Herb Street's going to call that game with Fowler. If Clemson and Syracuse takes over, then basically they don't have to travel. You know, they, that's a that's one I'm, less. I'm a cynical Syracuse. Has. I'm a cynical Syracuse fan. I'm like, how are they going to blow it this week? You know, they might though, right? Because they didn't look great against Liberty. No, uh, I, I, they want like twenty-four nothing or something like that. Yeah, I don't twenty know what, I mean, twenty-four they nothing. Dun, uh, the quarterback, right? They got to replace Dungey. Yeah, Dungey's hurt, but uh, they they've got they're at Maryland this week, and this yeah yeah Dungey's yeah Dungey moved on. Excuse me, he didn't get he didn't get hurt. He graduated, but um uh they're at Maryland this week, and I just I'm looking at that. I'm like this this just reeks of a trap. But anyway. That's, so that's that's why a I want trap. to bring those scenarios <laughs> right up. There. I know UCF fans are going to bombard me with have been bombarding about that for a while, and uh, and I've talked to plenty of people about it, and I feel very strongly about it that they are a distant third uh, in this. And I really do. I, I think I think it's real simple. If Clemson and Syracuse wins, they're going to be at Syracuse for game day. Yeah. If Syracuse loses, they might they would probably consider going to Iowa Iowa State. Yeah. I think that's, that's it. it. I think those are their two choices. I think you're right about that. So, all right, and then we've got all that coming up for you right here on BlackAndGoldBanneret.com. Uh, we also have uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret, Facebook.com/slash BlackAndGoldBanneret for all the latest updates. And uh, once again, uh, make sure you uh, make sure you follow all of us individually: Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez, Elo Spokes underscore Murphy, Luke Saris, SPN, Jeremy Brenner on Twitter as well. For all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll catch you next week. Enjoy the game down in Boca.